There's a story that comes from the Middle East about an old man, a boy, and a donkey. And they were traveling the countryside from village to village. As they passed through the first village, the man led the donkey and the boy was following behind the donkey. And the people in that first village criticized him so severely. And they said to him, hey, old man, don't you know what donkeys are for? A donkey ought to be ridden. So to please the people of that village, he got on the donkey and the boy followed. When they reached a second village, the people in that village were irate. They criticized him so severely when they saw the man in the donkey and the boy following. They jeered him. Oh, man, why don't you make the boy ride with you? The donkey can take both of you together. So in order to please that, the people of that village, he put the boy on the donkey with him, and they rode through to the third village. By the time they reached the third village, the villagers began to mock him. Hey, old man, you're crazy. <laughs> There's not room for both of you. This is hot sun. How can you do this to the beast? Both of you riding on him. So the man got down, picked up the beast, put him on his back, <laughs> and carried him on and went on. What is the meaning? What's the moral of this story? The moral of the story is this. If you try to please people, you're going to be carrying a donkey on your back. <laughs> it might not be visible, but you're carrying that donkey. I can testify to you that people-pleasing is a torturous way to live. It really is. And the Apostle Paul understood this truth. And that is why in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he asks an all-important rhetorical question. He asked, am I now trying to win the approval of men or God? Or am I trying to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be servant of Christ. Let me tell you at the outset, before I get to the text properly and explain it. Every one of us, your pastor included, every one of us fall in one of three categories. Self-pleasing, people-pleasing, or God-pleasing. The self-centered, self-pleasing person asks these questions in every situation, in every circumstance, in every time a decision is being made. They ask these questions. They said, how is that going to affect me? How can I benefit from this situation? I mean, they cannot speak two or three sentences without I, me, and mine. The whole world revolves around them. The people pleasers, on the other hand, they are self-centered in their own way. But unlike the self-pleasing people, they maintain a focus on being accepted, avoiding rejection at any cost. They obsessively worry about other people, what other people think of them. Uh, they are constantly seeking the approval and the compliment and the praise of people. Oh, to be sure, 
they come across as very selfless. They really want people to recognize their selflessness. They are constantly striving to please others. They are often exhausted and easily offended that they can never take constructive criticism because they see it all as rejection. And that is why people pleasers are easily hurt. They are easily angered and they are easily offended. The third group of people, the God pleasers, listen carefully, the God pleasers, none of us are born that way. None of us. We become converted to becoming God pleasers later in life. We get to a point of totally exhausted from self-pleasing and other pleasings, and we cry to God, and God begins to do His work in our lives. The primary motive of all God pleases is how to please God. The question they often ask in every circumstance and in every situation and every decision-making is what I'm about to do glorifying to God? Is what I am doing now honoring to God? And here is the question that you must ask yourself even as I'm speaking. You must ask yourself right now, which category do I belong to? Where am I on the list of those three groups of people? Paul, like all God-pleasers, was not always a God-pleaser. He was not. In fact, he confesses it. In fact, he said most of his life, before Christ came into his life, Paul was self-pleasing and others pleasing, but all of that changed the moment he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And so can everyone else who desire to be changed by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, today. You can become a God-pleaser. Before Christ came into his life, Paul was self-centered, egotistical, ambitious Pharisee. That's what he was. He craved the recognition and the approval of others. He longed for the praise of the leaders of the Pharisaic sect to which he belonged. (laughs) And that is why Paul understood these troublemakers, the Judaizers. He really knew them far better than anybody else because he was one of them. When these miserable legalistic Judaizers invaded the church of Galatia, their primary motive was to destroy the truth. What is the truth? The truth is this, that Paul preached, that salvation is only through Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ plus nothing equals salvation. But the modus operandi was, if they're going to discredit the message, you better discredit the messenger first. Satan's pattern never varies, never changes through the centuries, never changes. Satan is not creative. He's just an imitator. Satan's foot soldiers never come up with a new idea. They never come up with anything new. They use the same old trick, century after century after century. (laughs) But the sad part is that Satan's strategy often worked among the non-discerning believers. It worked in the case of the Galatians. The Judaizers sold them a bill of goods by telling them the very opposite of the truth. In the vernacular, they lied to them. The Judaizers told them that Paul is a people pleaser. 
Really? Paul? Imagine that. You say, how come? This is how they did it. They said, when Paul preached the truth to the Galatians, saying Jesus plus nothing equals salvation, the Judaizers come in and said, oh, no, 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 no. Jesus is not enough for salvation. Uh, Paul is only saying this to you, Gentiles, to get on your good side. He wanted to become popular among the Gentiles. Uh, The Judaizers said that Paul was saying that because he's telling the Gentiles what they want to hear. Uh, Paul is leaving out all of the Jewish ceremony and all of the ritual as important part of salvation because he just wants to make the message palatable to them. It was, of course, a pack of lies. Absolute lies. But isn't that what Satan does? In connection with these falsehoods, Paul said, that's exactly what I used to be before I came to Christ. When I was burdened under the heavy weight of rituals and ceremonies that have nothing to do with salvation, could never get you to heaven, it was all a show-off. In fact, Paul is saying, I worked so hard to get promoted in the Jewish hierarchy, in the institutional hierarchy. I wanted to climb that success ladder among my peers. I mean, I wanted it so badly that I did anything, I said anything to please my bosses. I wanted my Jewish bosses to be proud of me. And for that reason, I dragged Christians from town to town to town. I put them in prison and I did everything in order to please my Pharisaic bosses. Ah, but when I confronted the resurrected Jesus, it cost me dearly. I lost my reputation among the Pharisees. I lost my opportunity for being promoted in the religious hierarchy. I lost my prestige. I lost my possessions and I lost my wealth. I lost my pension. I lost my dignity. I lost my secure future. I lost everything for the sake of pleasing Christ alone. And yet these miserable Judaizers call me a people pleaser? (laughs) How false! Make no mistake about it. The Jews of the day were persecuting Christians. And these Judaizers, who of course accusing Paul of what they're doing, they're going to the Jews and say, don't persecute us. We're keeping all the ceremonies. We're one of you. Don't turn on us. It's only Paul is the one who's preaching grace. (laughs) We're preaching Judaism with Jesus attached to it. And that is why in verses 11 and 12, Paul offers indisputable evidence that he is no man pleaser. Listen to what he said. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man or taught it by any man. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ himself. Please hear me right. This is important. It's very important. All the religions of the world, all of them except Christianity, all of them are manufactured by man. All of them. The Christian message, like no other religion in the world, what all of the world's religion have in common, except for the Christian faith, is that man can save himself by his own efforts. 
that they all teach that by keeping certain rules, uh, by keeping certain precepts, by doing certain good works, by chanting the right mantra, uh, by living certain kind of life, they will be accepted by their God. Of all the earth's religions, the Christian faith stands out and says, no, and a million no, you can never save yourself. You cannot do anything to save yourself. It is only through the accepting of the gift of the grace of God can you be saved. And the reason people reject the message of the gospel is human pride. That's why. When they reject it, it's because of their pride. See, human pride is offended by the thought that we can do nothing to be saved. Human beings, the way they are, we want to find some way of giving ourselves some credit. So they say, well, I really didn't sin all that much. Uh, My sins are really not as big as the sins of others. Uh, I'm trying to live by the golden rule. I can do some good here in order to atone for the little bit of bad that I'm doing over there, and I'll be all right. And I said, you're living in a fool's paradise. And that is why the gospel comes along and says, you can do nothing to be saved except to humble yourself, repent of your sins, and accept the gift of Christ who died on the cross for you. And the reason Paul was really angry at these miserable Judaizers is because when he looked at them, they were like a mirror. They were reflecting his old self. (laughs) Every time he looks at them, he sees the old Paul before transformed life before Christ. And we often react the most when we see in others what we don't like about ourselves. And Paul looks at them and he says, oh, that's the old man. That's, that's how I was. That's me before Christ. That's my old life. These same miserable people are the ones who dug Jesus everywhere he went. Well, why did you eat on the Sabbath? Why did you heal on the Sabbath? Why did you do this? And why did you do that? And why not? I mean, he just followed them everywhere. And Jesus told them they were perverting even their Old Testament. So how does Paul tries to clear the confusion? You find that in verses 13 to 24. By giving his testimony. By reciting his spiritual biography. And here's what he said. He said, I used to try to get some favor with the religious hierarchy by persecuting Christians. I was trying to get accepted by them. I was a man pleaser seeking the approval of men. But when I came to an encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, he transformed my life. Therefore, I can testify. And he goes to testify. I know that many of you can testify. I know I can. We can testify to the fact that people-pleasing is torturous life. People-pleasing is a miserable life. It really is. And if you are a people-pleaser or self-pleaser, you can be set free today. The very God who set the Apostle Paul free from that misery of people-pleasing, he can set you free today. This is not going to come as a surprise to many of you. That is never the desire of my heart to come here Sunday after Sunday, I said, how am I going to please the folks? (laughs) I don't preach in order to make non-believers feel comfortable in their unbelief. You know why? 
they will curse me for all of eternity for not preaching the truth. I don't preach a sermon to make people feel good about their unbelief. But rather, I preach the Word of God to please God, and God is the one who will bring to folks under conviction. He'll bring them under conviction, and they will turn to Him and receive His peace. Listen to me. In many ways, it is a testimony of so many of you, the faithful ones that you're really hanging around for as long as you have, (laughs) knowing that you're only going to come to hear an unvarnished truth even if you don't like it, even if it convicts you. It's, it says much about you than anything else. But, beloved, I want to tell you, this principle was not only true in the first century, it's absolutely true in the 21st century because it is the Word of God. And that is why so many people around the world today are persecuted, and many of them are martyred, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. In the first century, they dipped them in boiling oil. They dipped them in tar, and then they let them up to light Nero's garden. And they said, we must obey Jesus, not Caesar. Jesus above Caesar. And that's why Caesar got mad. And today, there are millions of people around the world who are saying, we will follow Jesus. Do to us what you want. And I know the number of so-called evangelical preachers who are people-pleasers in their preaching is on the increase. And the reason they are on the increase is because they want to be liked by the media. Uh, They really want to be praised by the unrepentant sinners. They they want to be accepted by the establishment. They want to seek the approval of of men. They wanted unbelievers to speak well of them. But when Paul was converted to Christ, he did not go to the other apostles and said, hey guys, let me tell you something. I have a wonderful testimony for you. I can be a feather in your cap. You can raise money on me. I know that you're going to be blessed by me. Please give me your approval. No, he didn't do that. He went alone to what is called Arabia. He wanted to be there in order that he may study the Word of God, devour the Word of God, so that he may meditate on the Word of God, that he may understand all of the prophecies of the Old Testament that have spoken about the coming of Christ. And he allowed himself time to hear from God. Above all, his conversion to Christ, from being a self-pleaser and a people-pleaser to being God-pleaser, was one of the greatest evidence of a transformed life. Let me ask you this. Have you taken time to be alone with God and to begin to comprehend the enormity of God's sovereign grace in your life? Have you ever done that? Listen to me. If you don't grasp the enormity of God's grace in your life, You will not break free from either self-pleasing or people-pleasing or both. When you comprehend that it is the sovereign grace of God and not your effort that has called you from death to life, from darkness to light, that has called you from a crushing guilt to the marvelous freedom of Christ, that 
called you from the burden of sin to a liberty in Christ. Beloved, only when you really begin to understand this sovereign grace of God in your life will you truly experience freedom from people-pleasing or self-pleasing. For it is the same sovereign grace of God, not a variety of it, not a different kind of it. It's the same sovereign grace of God that transformed the life of Saul of Tarsus and made him into the great apostle Paul. It is the same sovereign grace of God that transformed Simon, who denied Jesus three times to bold preacher in the day of Pentecost. And finally, he gladly died a martyr's death. It is that same sovereign, amazing grace of God that transformed the hard-hearted slave trader to a loving, grateful heart of a pastor, an evangelist, and a songwriter by the name of John Newton. It is the same amazing grace of God that says, Jesus plus nothing equal my salvation. That same sovereign grace that is converting thousands of people around the world even today as we sit here. And yet, the moment they accept the grace of God into their life, they're literally signing their death warrant. That grace can transform anyone today from being self-pleasing or people-pleasing to being God-pleasing. Beloved, that grace is uniquely in the Christian faith, is uniquely belongs to the message of Christianity. And yet, the biggest tragedy from my vantage point that as I see, there are thousands of people who are sitting in church pews who marvel not at the grace of God. Please understand, I want you to hear this right. The purpose of God's grace is not to excuse sin or not excuse sinners. It is not to rationalize sin. But the purpose of God's grace is to justify and transform sinners. When Christ spoke to that woman in John chapter 8 who was caught in adultery, he did not say to her, okay, you just can't help it. It's okay. It's just the way you're made. It's okay. You are only the product of your environment. It's okay because everybody does it. He did not say that. No, in a million, no. He forgave her. He showed her grace. He gave her that which is not deserved. And then he said to her, go now and leave your life of sin. And that, my beloved friends, is the proper understanding of the grace of God in the New Testament. Grace does not pretend that sin does not matter. Grace does not pretend that sin is not sin. Grace does not merely sprinkle perfume to cover up the stench of sin. No. If grace does not produce transformation in life, it is not the grace of God. I was thinking about how some professing Christians try to excuse their sin. And I thought of a the story of that professing Christian 
who found himself in the court of law before a judge for breaking the law. And he thought that he could really get the judge on his side. So he said to the judge, he said, Your Honor, I'm a new creature in Christ. I'm a new man in Christ. But the old man still dwells in me. And so it was that old man who committed the crime and broke the law. The judge was quick on his feet. He said, all right, I will give the old man 30 days in jail for committing the crime. And then I'm going to give the new man another 30 days in prison for being an accomplice. (laughs) (laughs) And therefore, I give you 60 instead of 30 days. (laughs) Listen to what Paul said to the Romans in chapter 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, but under grace. Beloved, hear me right on this. The person who does not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, sin is not a choice for him or her. It's part of their nature. But for those who have received Jesus Christ into their life as Savior and Lord, for the believers, sin is a choice. We can choose to reject sin, or we can choose to permit it into our lives. We can choose to flee from temptation, or we can choose to obey its passions. Why? Because God's grace provides transformation. God's grace provides a transformed lifestyle. And that transformation takes place in our lives, moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour, as we totally depend on His strength. I am always careful not to give you this thing that the moment you prayed this prayer, you've done this thing, you're, you know, it's, it's okay. You're fine. No. The Christian life is a continuation Moment by moment, hour by hour, day by day. John the Baptist said, I must continue to decrease so that he may continue to increase. And as you put to death self-pleasing, others-pleasing, you put to life God-pleasing. But the process can start somewhere. And please God, it may start today. It might start today. And when that happens, you're going to experience true joy in serving the Lord. It's not a drudgery. It's not something you have to do. It's not because out of guilt. But you can't wait to serve the Lord by serving others. The true serenity of not depending on the approval of others will be yours. You will experience true integrity by not accommodating to the opinions of others. Uh, You'll experience true peace that comes from not trying to make a good impression on others. Above all, 
true selflessness and self-giving of ourselves and our resources in gratitude to God will be your greatest experience. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.